1: What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pina, soon to be full-time over at Sports Illustrated. Michael, how was your uh, holiday weekend? What did you make of the Christmas Day Spectacular? And are you like me? Does it just kind of still feel like it's the preseason right now? I can't get a handle on any team. It seems like anytime I get excited about someone, whether it's like the Brooklyn Nets or the Los Angeles Clippers, they turn around and drop some crazy game. Every time I'm ready to uh, you know, completely write a team off, they turn around and pull a big upset like the New York Knicks over the Milwaukee Bucks and Cleveland Cavaliers had one the other night. I mean, nothing makes sense right now. Are we basically just still in the preseason? Is that what's going on?
2: Well, uh, to answer your question, my my holiday was great. Thank you for asking. I had a good Christmas. Um, I think we were just we were spot on with the Christmas Day matchups. Uh, I, as I was watching them, I was wishing that the matchups that I wanted when we were talking about them on an earlier episode were actually happening. Instead, we got all these blowouts, and it wasn't really that much fun. But um, Did but the no, NBA I...
1: go 0-5 on Christmas? Kind of felt like it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the Mavericks really did not show up at the game that I went to in Los Angeles. The Celtics kind of folded, got to say. They weren't ready for the KD storm. Mm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It was It was pretty slim pickings on Christmas all around, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was. And I, 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 to be honest, I fell asleep and had to watch the the Nuggets Clippers game
1: the following morning. And I only watched the first half because I saw it was a blowout. But um, well, that's actually good, because if you had seen the Kawhi bloody scene before bed, <laughs> might have had a harder time sleeping, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, but no, I mean,
2: it's weird. I am actually more excited for everything that's happening right now than I thought I would be. I thought that I would treat everything like it was the preseason as you were saying um but i'm i'm i don't know it's it's entertaining it's like really fun to watch some of these teams play as well as they are like the cleveland cavaliers just look like they're enjoying each other and i'm i think we're going to probably talk about them later during answering one of our our listener questions but um but yeah it's it's a very strange start to a very strange season and it's it's fun in a weird way
1: I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to use that in a pejorative sense. Oh, it's only the preseason. I don't care. I mean, my mind is really spinning. You know, I have no idea really how to, to make sense of any of these things. We are seeing some developments, I think, that we expected, others that have been kind of like stunning right off the top. I think the biggest story of the entire week has been how quickly the Brooklyn Nets um, have hit the, the ground running. And then, you know, here on Monday morning, we have the news that Spencer Dinwiddie suffered an ACL injury, and he's going to be potentially sidelined for a while for them. So does that take all of the wind out of their sails after a loss to Charlotte? I don't know. I think they're just like a microcosm of kind of the chaos that's happening. We don't know who's up or, or who's down quite yet. Out of curiosity, when do you think things will settle this season, right? I mean, doesn't it usually take about a month for teams to settle in and and for the playoff pack to kind of separate? I mean, obviously, this is a very different year. Uh, You know, every, not everyone's on the same timeline. You've got the Lakers resting some of their best players in fourth quarters. Other teams kind of being cautious with their guys, too. You know, some teams that have really raced out of the gate are the teams that have been sitting around since March kind of itching to play, right? I mean, you mentioned Cleveland. You mentioned Atlanta. So maybe we shouldn't be too surprised about their hot starts. But how long do you think it's going to take everybody to settle in? Or are we kind of into like any given Sunday mode with the NBA, where this is just going to be the season season? all year long, one night, you know, you're you're losing to the Lakers, the next you're up by 50 at halftime to the Clippers, you know, I mean, is, is that going to be our, our reality all season long?
2: I mean, it's really funny that you just use the phrase any given Sunday, because I was thinking last night, as I was watching one of the upsets about how, you know, it's not an 82 game season right now, it's in 72 game season. So each game is like slightly more important to these teams so if you get out to a hot start and you are the Indiana Pacers or the Orlando Magic or the uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers like I'm not saying these teams are going to make the playoffs or, or shoe-ins at all or will keep up what they're doing but like you have this um this confidence in you that you know, there there's like a, a greater value to each win than there would otherwise be. So I feel like these teams can have more confidence um, out the gate than they otherwise would. Am I making any sense to you? It's kind of like in football, if you start 4-0 and when no one expected you to be good, it's like, oh my God, we might make the playoffs now.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, you're you're always in dangerous territory when you're trying to explain fractions and stuff, Michael. I mean, I'm not sure about that. sometimes <laughs> the math lessons you bring on this show, but absolutely. I mean, technically, every game is more important, but you could also flip it around and say, well, the very best teams... Don't need to view these games as being that important because they're not going to get the benefit of home court advantage, right? So, I mean, I think the the very best teams are looking at these games as basically worthless, you know, at least for the first month, as they kind of get themselves up to speed. Because what's the difference if they finish with the third seed, the number one seed, or the fifth seed? I mean, you know, there's going to be some travel implications there. Maybe some fans are gonna or some stadiums are going to be able to have a, a few number of fans by the time the playoffs roll around, but it's not that typical, like. We've got to have a you know completely locked in year to guarantee ourselves a great playoff seed. I'm just not sure that's going to be as big of a factor this year. So that could be kind of contributing the other way. But yeah, um, look, the first week has made no sense. I do think the Nets and how they played in their first two games, I mean, just running Golden State completely off the court and then having a very impressive win over Boston. I mean, that stood out to me. Um, they actually had a shot uh, to tie and send to overtime against Charlotte. Uh, on, on Sunday night, Katie just misses a wide open shot that he'd probably hit 80% of the time to, to send mm-hmm. that game into overtime. So they go down. Impressive win all around, I think by Charlotte, given the circumstances. But we had a question here from Nick and he wants us to kind of sort through all of this madness, Michael. He says, uh, give your takes on which of the following things are incidents. In other words, one-time occurrences that won't continue or indicators, which are signs of patterns that are likely to continue. So he just basically wants us to say, what's a trend? What's not a trend? And the first thing on his list was Brooklyn looking dominant and Kevin Durant providing one word media answers. So he wants to know, (laughs) uh, incident or indicator, is this a, a sign of a larger trend? I got to say, watching that Boston game, I was pretty darn convinced about what uh, Brooklyn's trying to do in their overall vision. I mean, KD is looking very loose, very spry, uh, very comfortable getting into a shot, creating offense basically everywhere on the court. Kyrie was in a great zone, you know, super hot shooting the basketball, and their vibe just seemed excellent. I mean, they come off the court, everybody's all high fives, they're super happy. Uh, Kyrie did the post game interviews talking about we're gonna try to make history and, and take it one step at a time and all this kind of stuff. I mean, big lofty comments uh, for a team just a couple games into a you know a brand new season, and I thought they had every reason to start slow. I mean, you're looking at KD coming back after 18 months. Kyrie coming back after almost a year, brand new coach with Steve Nash, Lavert and Dinwiddie, uh, who we mentioned earlier has been injured now, are in new roles. I mean, all of that says, you know, give this uh, team some time to pull it together. And yet they seem like they were operating at a higher level than just about anybody in the league the first couple of games. Did you feel the same way or, or did you expect them to come, uh, you know, flying out of the gate? Or are you thinking this is uh, maybe a flash in the pan? Are, are you willing to sell when everybody else is buying Brooklyn stock?
2: I mean, we're, we're three games in. Their fourth best player is now basically out for the season. That's not official, but a partially torn ACL for a guy who has ACL and ACL history. It, you know, it's not a great sign for Spencer Dinwiddie going forward. I mean, they blew out the Golden State Warriors on opening night. They beat the Celtics in um, on Christmas, and then they lost to the Charlotte Hornets. Um, and I know that you you know you're. Citing, I watched that game there. You're citing the shot that Kevin Durant could have made at the very end. But I mean, they were down double digits in the fourth quarter. They didn't look really spry. I think, like, you know, Kyrie is shooting like 60% from behind the three point line. Katie's shooting 70% behind the three point line. It's like the shots are, are, are uh, they're falling right now for Brooklyn, so that is not sus- very sustainable. And then on the other end, they have the best defense in the league by a wide margin. I I don't think that their defense is going to look this good, even though I you know i have been very impressed with Jared Allen, who is coming off the bench and maybe he shouldn't right now. Um, he's playing absolutely magnificent basketball, and he's one of the better rim protectors in the entire league. Um, so you know I think they'll come back to earth a little bit. I think that. I think the Spencer injury is a little a little overblown. I, I don't want to sound mean saying that because I think he's a really good player, but the fit just didn't make a lot of sense to me, and I think if you slide Landry Shaman or Torian Prince into the starting five, you're not really going to skip a beat there. Um, but, I mean, look, like, at the end of the day, KD looks—it's all about KD, right? KD looks terrific. Like he looks like he's on track to win the MVP this season. And Kyrie is just—he's unguardable right now. So the pieces really fit. They have outside shooting. Um, I'm still a little, you know, skeptical about the defense, but I mean, they look—they look like a very good basketball team that can win the NBA championship.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, everybody that I've seen is racing to this idea of, is it going to be Lakers, Nets in the finals, KD versus LeBron, LeBron versus Kyrie, New York versus LA. Is your mind going there yet, or is that too early? It's a possibility, for sure. I want to see how the Nets
2: respond when they lose three in a row. I mean, Katie is not going to play. We're recording this on a Monday. Katie's not going to play tonight um, because of a back-to-back. So
1: Yeah, like, so if they drop to 2-2 and we're out here talking about they're going to be <laughs> exactly. in the finals, it's like, come on, what is happening? That's what I mean about this uh, this opening week just kind of being complete madness. I mean, it's really treacherous uh, conditions for guys like us who are trying to be opinionators. Um, no, I hear what you're saying for sure. that. Dinwiddie was the guy uh, from all their group, to me, that looked like he was still trying to find his place. Everybody else Mm -hmm. seemed like they were pretty locked in, right? I mean, LaVert looked good in the early week. I mean, Kyrie is, you know, having a, the ball in his hands a lot, but he's doing good things with it. Um, and they had a ton of space to operate with. I mean, their offense to me just looked very uh, spaced out. Even when they were playing centers, um, you know, they still had plenty of room to go one-on-one and both Katie and Kyrie were, were shooting the, the basketball really well, like you mentioned. Um, you know, we got a question here from uh, Orion on the Nets. He says, a year and a half ago, uh, Ben, you had one of my favorite takes that Katie's move to the Nets would land him in basketball exile. When he spurred the warriors at the time, I agreed somewhat, but it is clear now that Katie made the better basketball move. Kyrie and all, it sure looks that way. It's a great question, uh, Orion. I gotta say, I did the same thing with the Lakers too. When LeBron first got there, I was I was selling hard against this idea that he was going to be able to completely single handedly turn that organization around. I looked at question marks with the ownership group, with the front office, with the roster, with the coaching staff at the time when LeBron got there. And I just said, look, this is too much for one guy to kind of flip upside down. I kind of felt the same way uh, with Kevin Durant going to Brooklyn. I mean, I, I just saw him wanting to play with his friend and then just questions everywhere else from the ownership group to the front office to, uh, you know, to the to the coach and everything else. And what we've learned, I think, in both those cases is that if you have a franchise player, you can bring a franchise along behind him pretty quickly in in faster record time than we might expect. Look, it might take 18 months for their vision to to come to fruition which is what happened in um, Los Angeles and pretty much exactly what happened in Brooklyn too those guys are able to be transformative figures for the entire organization I mean you look at Brooklyn already there's been a lot of change you get the coach out of there uh, you know Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving are settling in nicely they they changed the rotation quite a bit um, you know over the um, the offseason to give them some nice pieces that fit they they got straight to work in molding things around Kevin Durant. And I think the biggest um, question mark in all of it was KD himself. I just did not expect, I did not think it was reasonable to expect him to come back after 18 months and basically not skip a beat. And that's where he's at right now. I actually think it's good that they're, um, you know, resting him on some back-to-backs. His minutes may be a little bit higher than I would even want, uh, you know, as I'm trying to ease him back onto the court. But he's held up very well. He's looked smooth. He's getting to all of his spots. I don't know if he's 100%, but he's looking pretty close to it. And he looks to me like easily the best player in the Eastern Conference. And you and I had talked about that about a month ago, Michael, where we were Mm -hmm. saying, well, where would you slot this guy in? I mean, head-to-head against Tatum. And, like, I'm not doing this to troll you. He's just a lot better than Tatum right now. And I think head-to-head against Giannis, when you're talking about who has a more refined offensive game, who do you trust more in the playoffs, I'm not sure that one's, like, particularly close either. And you go right down the list of other Eastern Conference guys. So I, I think what we're we're learning from both the Lakers experience and the uh, the Nets experience is that one guy can change everything. And, and that's sort of what's happened. They still have a lot to prove in Brooklyn. I'm not going to pencil them into the finals quite yet, but uh, they're definitely into that top tier of contenders conversation uh, more quickly than I expected. One final point on, on Orion's question, though, Michael, and I'm, I'm curious what you think on this one. I think I was also holding all of Kevin Durant's future teams against an impossible standard, which was his Warriors super teams, right? I think we realized in the moment that those teams were like absolutely insanely special, right? Blasting through the the playoffs in 2017, the Warriors coming off a 73-win season in 2016, five straight finals trips, three uh, title teams. But when I've looked around at every team that's uh, kind of popped up here, since the Warriors dynasty, nobody really comes close at all, right? And I think it's it's kind of an impossible comparison. I mean, you know, Kevin Durant going to Brooklyn and playing with Kyrie and, and whoever else they were able to kind of scrounge together, and, and having DeAndre Jordan be the, you know, the the third member of their big three at least when they were kind of uh, assembling it, right? I mean, of course that's going to look pretty weak in comparison to what the uh, the Warriors were working with, a team that had five Hall of Famers and went super deep, like, you know, 10 deep of really quality basketball players. Of course, that was not going to be, um, you know, a fair comparison for that team. So I think that was, uh, you know, shading my analysis, too. It's like this idea that, he's taking a major step down uh, in terms of total talent around him. And the fact is anywhere he would have gone and every other team around the league since those Warriors teams has been a major step down from those Warriors teams, including the Lakers, by the way, who are very deep, very talented this year. I think the favorites to go back to back, I would still not put them in that same tier as uh, the 2015, 16, 17, 18 Warriors, would you?
2: No, I mean, absolutely not. It's unfair to compare any team to, particularly this 2017 Warriors, his first year there. I mean, that was maybe, that's like one of the three best teams of all time, I would say. Uh, Just going off the top of my head, they were completely dominant. Um, You could not guard them. And so, I mean, like, you know you, it, it, like you compare them to last year's lakers i mean i my thoughts on last year's lakers are pretty um on the record i picked against them in every single playoff series um and i was yeah. for
1: sure wrong of course well, I would have had Warriors in five in a head-to-head in that matchup, right? If we're saying 2017 Warriors versus 2020 Lakers, I, I would say Warriors in five because it-, it wasn't just that they had the top-end talent. It was that everybody was clicking and they were playing such a sophisticated brand of basketball. You know, everybody was getting a crack at it. They were super deep. They played really, really hard defensively at a high level defensively. All their key guys were right in their primes everything lined up kind of perfectly there you know what i mean i mean what what would you say in that series you know 17 warriors versus 20 lakers
2: sweep um i mean look at the <laughs> like <laughs> no but i mean like look at they got pushed by a miami heat team like jimmy butler played tremendously and that Miami Heat team had some really talented players for sure but like they were banged up they didn't have Bam Adebayo for most of the series they didn't have Goran Dragic like two key contributors so like they were pushed by that Miami Heat team in the finals like that kind of shows me where the difference is between the Lakers and the Warriors I mean the Warriors would have blown out that Miami Heat team by 20 in every game right so um so yeah but like you know taking Orion's question really quickly um kind of looking at it from through the lens of did KD make the right decision um i think that that is really fascinating because do you think that KD right now in brooklyn is in a better spot than he would have been if he stayed in golden state and like presume that you know Steph is there Steph is healthy we'll say that Clay is injured um we'll just in this hypothetical uh Draymond is there he's healthy they probably still have Andre Iguodala who's you know not totally washed up definitely not what he was when he was on the Warriors but I think he would still be on the team and uh, James Wiseman, will throw him on the roster as well, who I love and am just fascinated by. So like, do you think
1: that that team right now would be better than what the Brooklyn Nets are? It's a fascinating question, Michael. I mean, first of all, I can promise you this. If KD is still on Golden State, if he goes back to Golden State, Draymond's not on that team anymore, right? It was going to have to be one or the other on, on that decision, just from a personality standpoint. Mm-hmm. So that team's probably not looking as loaded as they would have. Um, I still prefer the KD and Steph partnership to the KD and Kyrie partnership, personally, um, and I, I think I probably already will because we saw how consistently and at a high level they could play together. Um, but you know, this is a decision we don't need to go back and rehash because KD made up his mind. He was out of there on the first flight, smoking. You know, I mean, Steph tried to <laughs> recruit him and everything else, and like that was just a total waste of his time. And he signed the, the with Brooklyn. And he announced that thing. Just about as fast as he possibly could have, right? So I don't know if we need to go back and, um, you know, think about that one too much. But I mean, Golden State's in a really tough spot. We're going to get to them in a minute. But I think my last point on his decision in terms of choosing Brooklyn that I undersold, look, he's easily the best player in the Eastern Conference. He's the best player in the Eastern Conference since LeBron left, and the gap Mm -hmm. is pretty substantial. When he first made that decision, part of the reason why I was skeptical about it was because I thought Boston was this rising power, Philly looked like a rising power, Milwaukee looked like they were going to be there for a while. I thought that the Eastern Conference landscape was going to be tougher once he got back healthy than it's actually proof to have been. I mean, you know, you look at Boston Losing Hayward, not having Kemba off the top of the season, I mean, that's a tough spot to be in. They're not this ascendant power that I was predicting even coming out of the bubble. I mean, they're good, but they're not a great team. If you rewind 18 months ago, they seemed like they had great potential. Same thing for Philly. I mean, look, they're they're kind of sputtering out of the gate here. They've had a couple of wins, but they haven't necessarily been super impressive. If you rewind 18 months and think about what was possible for Philly from a roster building standpoint... Uh, the sky was the limit. They really screwed that pooch, man. I mean, like, it's been a rough couple years for Philadelphia. And same deal with Milwaukee. I mean, they're kind of starting to get into their juggernaut phase at that point. And I have not been very impressed so far uh, by the Bucks out of this gate as well. So to me, this is almost a case where not only did uh, Kevin Durant make a pretty shrewd forward-thinking move and find an organization where he was going to be able to kind of be catered to and things would kind of be built around him and he was going to play with the guy he wanted to play with, but he also, just things have broken really well for Brooklyn in terms of who are the other major threats, what do they look like, and how have their last 18 months gone? It's kind of like everything's coming up KD, I guess is how I'd put it.
2: I'm not ready to bury the Celtics. Um, I'm I'm actually closer to burying the Philadelphia 76ers than I think most people are just after what I mean, I was so high on them with Curry and Danny Green and spacing and... Uh, competence in the front office, and I think an upgrade at the head coaching spot. Um, and it's very early, but like I, yeah. I don't know. I just no. no I hear
1: you. I'm not trying to bury anyone. I'm just saying I, when I was looking at the Nets coming back, I kind of figured there was going to be this tier of teams that they were going to have to crack into, right? That like we're going to say that these three or four teams have played together, they've got the experience, they've gone through playoff battles and all that stuff. And that could be kind of tricky for them to work their way through. Very similar to how most people had the Lakers as like a four or five seed last year, as opposed to just like defaulting to them as the number one seed, because you kind of show respect to the teams that have been there. And same deal with Toronto, right? Like, I mean, that was another one where it was like, well, these guys have been through a lot of battles. They could be another team that's just like, you know, Brooklyn's got to work its way up the the standings. And instead, a lot of those teams have either just taken sidesteps or they've come back to earth a little bit and the doors just opened up wide for Brooklyn.
2: No, for sure. Um, I think that when you have a KD who will be the best player in any playoff series, you are at an advantage. Um, And, you know, I I think that health is going to be a pretty big X factor for every team. And we already saw what happened to Spencer. Karis Levert is someone who gets hurt Every year for an extended st- stretch, unfortunately. Uh, Kyrie Irving has had multiple surgeries in the past few seasons and barely played last year. Uh, so I think that, you know, we need to let, we need to see how all this plays out on paper. And in the first three or so games, they've looked really good and they've played a really smart brand of basketball on both ends. Uh, but I mean, in a playoff series, winning four straight rounds, that's just like a different animal entirely. So, I'm still willing to, you know, like I'll put them in a top tier, but I'm not going to say that they are the favorite out of the East just yet.
1: No, well said. I'm with you on that. Okay, let's do some more incidents or indicators coming from Nick, okay? His next one on his list was... The Golden State Warriors look nothing like a playoff team, and James Weissman is going to be the Rookie of the Year. So, uh, you've got some some negative and some positive there in terms of incidents or indicators. Do you feel like these are things that we can expect to continue, or is just this, this just been a weird and kind of nightmarish opening week for Golden State?
2: I think it's. I am going to go incident here. Um, you know, I think that the the Warriors will be okay. I am not going to. Write them off just because of especially their first two losses. I have not. I did not watch the the Bulls win yet. I'm going to watch that later today. But don't
1: do it. Save yourself, (laughs) Michael. I mean, I I watched a lot of it because I am just about ready to completely write the Golden State Warriors off. It's a tough, tough watch. I mean, those look like the two worst teams in the league, you know. And Draymond didn't play, which is a big factor. But you watch Mm -hmm. that game, you just think like. You don't know if it's preseason. You don't know if it's a G League game. I mean, you don't know what's happening. And it was a very dramatic win. They needed that win badly, and I, I'm sure you saw the big celebration that kind of came out of it. Mm-hmm. But man alive, they had no business winning that basketball game. And sh- the Chicago Bulls are horrible. I mean, terrible. And they don't they don't guard anyone. Uh, and still, Golden State was struggling to get things done at, at key moments. But uh, just save yourself, Michael. Don't don't do that to yourself.
2: Okay, well, I'm going to watch it anyway, even though you've you've forewarned me and I believe you everything that you're saying. Um, But like, okay, so the case for the Warriors is that Steph Curry is shooting 25 percent behind the three point line Um, and he's taking a lot of attempts. He's taking nearly a dozen a game, which is back to where he was pre KD and really good to see. Um, Most of the looks have been pretty. I mean, you know, he gets a lot of attention, but the looks are shots that he is normal that he normally makes. Um, Kelly Oubre, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how many threes in a row he's missed, but he has not made one yet this season. <laughs> so, you know, I think that he'll come around. He's an average three-point shooter. He's not this bad. Um, I think the Marquise Chris injury actually is pretty,
1: that's pretty tough for them.
2: You know, well, That's what I mean.
1: F- that's a red flag by itself, Michael. If you're sweating a Marquise Chris ankle injury, <laughs> like as, as a major like turning point of your season, that means you're probably not very good. Okay, so you know,
2: I I hear all of that. I'm not saying that they're going to win the championship or contend for a title. I think that they lost to, you know, a Nets team that we've just we that it looks really good and they lost to the Bucks and the Bucks are really good. Um so, you know, two of the three teams that they've played so far uh, and the two teams that they had blowout losses to are, you know, the cream of the crop in the Eastern Conference. So I'm not going to write them off just yet. I think that they need to find themselves. They don't really have an identity yet, and their their playing style needs to change from what it was when they were so good. And, I mean, that's on, that's on Steve Kerr. That's on Steph Curry. I think that Draymond coming back into the fold will help, and I think that as James Weisman who, you know, I would say he is a Rookie of the Year candidate based on everything that I've seen so far. I mean, as he continues to elevate his game, get more comfortable um, as they look for him on the offensive end even more than they have, uh, like, I think that he is just such a freak and such a perfect complement to the guys that are already there. Uh, So, you know, if he's this adrenaline shot to this team throughout the season... Um, I think that they can be really interesting, but I'm not, I'm not saying that they're going to win the championship, but I am saying that they should be in consideration for the playoffs still.
1: Yeah. I would be stunned if they make the playoffs. Um, I think the, the question here is like, could it really get dark? Because what you've painted is mostly like, here's how it could get better. Draymond's going to have an impact. Steph will shoot better. It's actually mathematically impossible for Oubre to shoot worse like it just can't happen because he hasn't made a shot. So he's going to definitely shoot better. And I think Wiggins can settle in a little bit too. They're talking about simplifying the offense for him and just kind of you know getting him in situations where he can kind of go downhill. That way he's not settling for off the dribble jumpers that kind of make everybody slap their heads when he throws them up and they really have no chance of going in. I would also say in general, they are creating good shots. A lot of the shots that Oubre... Wiggins and even Steph are missing are wide open shots mm-hmm. and that, that's part of what makes it so tough watching them because you're just like good god are these guys ever going to be able to hit something and I'm sure that will uh will level out but this the defense is is really really rough I mean to me Looney is a tough player to play at this point he just doesn't move very well um as much as I love Weissman and I agree with you he should be a rookie of the year favorite at this point uh he gives up he's going to give up career nights to a lot of people i mean wendell carter junior looked like the guy he was supposed to be for once uh, in that game uh, <laughs> in chicago because look like, all he has to do is pump fake and blow by wiseman he's getting dunk after dunk and, and getting a lot of good stuff around the basket they they're not very physical or imposing when it comes to the boards and there's just not a lot of resistance right so you know you add all those things up i just i don't really see it for them but steph's definitely got to step up I, i'm not here to criticize him but look if This season is going to be salvaged. It's going to require a much better version of Steph Curry than we've seen the first week of the season.
0: You decided it was time to upgrade your outdoor deck, so you got all the essentials to do it. You ordered a power washer, a set of patio chairs, and a shiny new grill. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping and up to 5.25% as a preferred rewards member, which you put towards your most essential deck addition, a bird feeder. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. After the trip, I drove my van back with all my equipment. I could hear a little bit of whimpering and crying. When Eldon Kidd, a father of five running rafting tours through Mexico, found two Guatemalan girls stowed away in the back of his tour van one night, it changed his life forever. They pleaded with me, can you bring us to the border? I agreed, and I thought, can I do this again somehow? From the team behind American Skyjacker comes an epic new crime series, American Coyote. Being a coyote is a dangerous and illegal business. You have to be prepared for the worst. The unbelievable tale of a legendary coyote Named Elden Kidd, American Coyote. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.
1: All right, another incident or indicator. James Harden was not fined due to the holidays. So basically, Nick wants to know is the NBA just going to go light? on people who violate the health uh, and safety protocol and come up with excuses about, oh, it's just Christmas, we're trying to be nice, it's a first-time offense, um, or is there going to become a trend here where guys are going to get punished more heavily once Adam Silver is no longer in that uh, Santa Claus spirit?
2: Yeah, I have this one as an incident. I, I think the the James Harden situation is a unique one. He's a perennial MVP candidate who is... Publicly asking for a trade and just completely disregarding his teammates, he's in the news for something nefarious. It seems every day until he actually took the court and was was magical against the Portland Trailblazers. Um, so, I mean, I think that this is just very unique. I like you know he Adam Silver's reasoning was that it was Christmas, <laughs> so so like um, well Christmas is over. So you know I think that if if players behave the way that Harden did. Uh, going forward, there will be consequences.
1: Was that the the right messaging from Adam Silver? When we're talking about like kind of the seriousness of this health and safety protocol, you kind of have to set a tone early. It seems like most guys are abiding by the rules, as far as we can tell. I mean, we're not seeing, you know, club clips or this, t- this guy's out at a mall shopping in public with no mask. I and mean, we haven't really seen any of that stuff, right. But, you know, it's kind of, coming up with reasons not to suspend James Harden or not to really hit him with a major fine, is that the right way to start this thing? I think that Silver's trying to put it, you know, basically, if you're a repeat offender, things are going to get worse. I think that's sort of his, uh, you know, his his overall tone there. I don't know. Does that open up slippery slope stuff for the NBA?
2: Um, It could. I, I, I mean, what's really interesting is just how we view this stuff now versus how we viewed it even in the bubble. where like, Daniel House just got kicked out of the bubble, straight up. And Daniel House is not a superstar. And you got to wonder, you know, if a superstar behaved that way, what would have happened? So I, 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 you know, the optics are not great. I thought that the rationale for not, the public rationale for not finding him or suspending him or punishing him in any real way wasn't the greatest. Uh, Like I, I had to do a double take when I first saw just to like see if that quote was real by Adam Silver. Um, but you know, I, I think that, I think that most, as you were saying, I think that most players are taking things very seriously. I don't think that there will be an incident quite like what we're seeing with Harden going forward, because he's just a, such a unique figure in such a unique situation. But yeah, like, I don't think that this will come back to bite the NBA, I guess is the answer to the question.
1: Yeah, I hope not. And if there's another incident with Harden, they've got to ramp up the punishment, right? I mean, I think that's sort of set the stage now. They've committed to it publicly. Look, there's going to be escalating consequences, right? So if he does something again, I would hope to see that they respond in kind. All right, a couple more of these incidents or indicators and we're going to move forward, Michael. How about uh, the fact that eight to 10 teams were averaging 120 plus points per game when Nick sent his email in? So scoring is up. Defense seems optional. Some of these teams are just can't stop anyone, especially Golden State. I mean, they got, I think, 138 put on them by the Milwaukee Bucks, who weren't even playing that well on Christmas. Uh, There's been a couple other games where you know teams have just completely let go of the rope. Is that like a preseason phenomenon? Is that a style of play trend development that's kind of been escalating here recently? are things ever going to settle down where teams actually start to lock up? Is it harder to play defense if you're in an empty arena and nobody's screaming at you to play defense? These are the kinds of questions I wonder about, Michael. What do you think?
2: Well, I think this is an incident primarily because in the last 25 years, zero teams have averaged 120 points per game. So I'm going with, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm siding with that trend more so than what we've seen so far where there are multiple teams that are averaging over 120. I don't think that that's going to carry over for the entire season. But, but I do think... Uh, could
1: we see a season where it's like the highest scoring year of the last decade though? That's possible, uh, right?
2: It is. Uh, maybe. I mean, your point about uh, trying on defense without a crowd is really a really interesting one because I could say that like going the other way, these guys can actually hear each other communicate now and you can hear your coach too. You know, one, one of the big things is like, uh, you know, if you're, if
1: you're a coach... Yeah, do, you, do you know in- what I can hear? I can hear a lot of guys saying my bad after they get blown by going to the basket. <laughs>
2: <No>. <laughs> but like even in the NBA, you hear about like how coaching staffs that are on the opposite side of the court, um, you know, is, it is a disadvantage to that defense. Um, and so, you know, I think that potentially you know even though there is artificial noise being pumped in I just wonder about the impact there but I mean I I think like when we look at offense it's more about the fact that more threes are being shot every single season and guys entering the league are more comfortable taking three-pointers and there's step backs now like Grant Williams on the Celtics made a step back three against the Indiana Pacers (laughs) it's just like everybody's taking them so from that perspective I can see the points continuing to rise
1: For sure. And you're getting more small lineups, too. I mean, Atlanta being one of the highest scoring teams coming out of the gate, and they're playing Collins at the five, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Because they're waiting for Capella to come back. I didn't necessarily foresee that coming. It was a a kind of a nice strategic move. And, you know, you wonder how well is that going to hold up in the postseason. But... Can't they couldn't they theoretically play that group all regular season long and win a decent number of games? Like I would expect. I mean, you're talking about Washington playing three point guards. I mean, they're obviously just doing that so they can get as many points as possible, not necessarily worrying about defense. I just think that we're in the midst of a, a pace of play revolution, the three point revolution that you're talking about, and I don't see the the current environment where there's no crowd noise or anything like that necessarily helping the defenses out in a meaningful way. I just think it it turns some of these games into at least for right now more of an exhibition feel. It was the same thing early in the bubble, by the way, when when guys first got down there, they were just not locked into the defensive end. We saw so many incredible scoring performances by you know individual players because the defensive intensity was just not there. Um, that did tighten up as the playoffs went. You know, when when there were stakes. You could tell a noticeable difference, in the teams that could play high-level defense, like the Lakers and the Heat, were the teams that wound up, you know, continuing to advance. But I think for this regular season, it does kind of just feel like it's, uh, you know, it's it's headed to a situation where, like, hey, tonight's Terry Rozier's night, and tonight is Colin Sexton's night. Everybody gets a career high. It's like Oprah, career high, career high, career high, career high. <laughs> she's just handing them out to everyone. I just think that that's probably what we're looking at here, at least for the next couple months.
2: Can I, you know, while you were talking, I was just thinking about how defensive continuity really matters, and there's a lot of new faces on new teams, and guys are in and out of the lineup, like, at an
1: unprecedented clip already, basically, like, for whatever reason it could. This is the perfect year. If you have excuses to not want to play defense, (laughs) you have as many as you want, right? (laughs)
2: no it's 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 a terrific point um I mean guys are out for so many different reasons and healthy players are just like not playing in back-to-backs or are um you know there'll be like a a tweak here and a guy is out or a guy is out for uh health and safety protocol reasons and so when uh, you know a Joel Embiid has to not isn't playing against the Cleveland Cavaliers like all of a sudden Tony Bradley's in the ball game and so like it's it's, it, it, there is going to be a lot of drop-offs here with players I, like i don't foresee can you can, like honestly this is a kind of a separate question but can you imagine anyone playing
1: all 72 this year like i i can't and that's really weird well i hope somebody does and there'll be somebody because there's a few guys where that's like kind of their thing you know um i'm i'm big on trying to be like cal ripkin joe angles baby in yeah, 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 yeah 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 so hopefully there'll be a couple but your point is well taken like a lot of superstars probably won't And they'd probably be smart not to, uh, especially because of more back-to-backs, condensed schedule and all that stuff. All right, last one on this list, John Morant reaching the next level. Is it an incident that he's, you know, getting 30 plus points every night and carrying the Grizzlies and throwing, you know, alley-oops to himself off the backboard and looking like an absolute stud? Or is that an indicator where basically this guy has now, you know, put himself into this all-star conversation? He's now a franchise level point guard. He made another leap. What are you saying, Michael?
2: I'm going indicator.
1: Um, I Ooh.
2: do, th- yeah. I do think that he's he's leveled up a little bit here, and he's doing it with without Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, with some some new pieces in there, with some guys who are banged up. I do think that you know, as the season goes on, teams will or should you know trap him on those side pick and rolls where he gets downhill and he just like jumps on a trampoline. Um, and defenders are already ducking way under screens and giving him jumpers and giving him pull up threes and he's taking them and he's not really making them. But when he gets downhill, when he gets like on that runway, which he can basically do at ease he's just, like, unstoppable, and he's either getting to the line or, like, he's forcing you to uh, physically stop him in midair, and so, like, I I love watching him play. Uh, He's, I mean, like, the 40-plus point debut was ridiculous. Uh, He has such great touch around the basket. He's got the floater now. Um, Like, I'm all about John Morant, and I'm all about, like, him making the all-star team this season.
1: Yeah. I think that it's kind of a perfect situation for him this year because his team really isn't that loaded right now. You know, they're not scaring anybody on paper. So it's a classic team. It's
2: ugly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a classic team that you would just be like, you know what, even if jaw goes off, we could probably still beat them. Right. So we don't necessarily need to like completely like throw the kitchen sink at him defensively. We'll just, you know, if not that you're going to let him get 40, but it's not the end of the world if he does necessarily. Right. Um, so I think that's going to wind up playing to his statistical benefit, night after night after night, because better teams are going to be like, "eh, we don't necessarily need to like really twist the screws on him." I think if he once he does make the playoffs, I don't think it's going to happen this year. The the going under him, the trapping him, I mean, that stuff is going to be, I think there's going to be a real learning curve or adjustment period for him, because I think that, you know, defenses are going to be able to just, you know, given the makeup of his team around him, they're going to be able to concentrate so much attention on him. And it's probably going to be, uh, you know, just a rough transition once he has to face playoff defenses. But for right now, I mean, it's Jaw's world. We're all just kind of living in it. You mentioned the all-star team. I was going through the possible rosters last night for my Washington Post newsletter And there are not very many spots available this year, Michael. I mean, last year we had 10 first-time All-Stars, which is just an incredible amount of new blood and and a major reason why so many guys were injured. I mean, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Steph Curry, Blake Griffin— the list goes on of of veteran players, Paul George, who just didn't get selected due to injuries, and and that opened the door for a lot of players. But you know, a number of those players, like a Jason Tatum, you know, we're going to expect to be back this year. So there's a real roster crunch potentially developing for this year's All Star group, and a guy like Ja could have a hard time squeezing in. I mean, there's so many uh, you know uh, backcourt uh, candidates uh, in the Western Conference, from Steph Curry to Damian Lillard to James Harden to Luka Doncic uh, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, the list kind of goes on and on and on. So what I tried to do in my newsletter, Michael, was come up with the guys who I think maybe have the best shot of, of first timers of of reaching the all-star game for the first time. And of course, we don't even know if there's going to be an all-star game because they postponed the one that was scheduled for Indianapolis until 2024. And they haven't announced any new, uh, you know, any new replacement event. My Mm -hmm. guess is they will want to hold a voting and selection process anyway, right? I mean, even if there's no game, you'd want to make sure you you give these guys the recognition. So I'm assuming that they're going to be doing that. But when you're looking at other guys who are potential first timers, I mean, first of all, when I'm listing off all those names, do you think that jaw deserves to be over any of those people that I was uh, throwing out there or, or at least considered over? And then which other first timers do you think have a shot to make it?
2: I mean, potentially I can see Ja leaping ahead just because of, you know, he's going to have the statistical profile for sure. And I don't think Memphis is going to be very good this year just because I think they overachieved last season and they they took a lot of people by surprise. But like there are players who I'm looking at last year's all-star team and there are some some names and some faces who I do not think will be back. Like I don't think that Russell Westbrook will be an all-star. I don't think that Kyle Lowry will be an all-star I think like honestly someone like Pascal Siakam is a question mark for me um so like uh
1: so it sounds like you you agree with me though there's going to be more spots open probably on the eastern conference roster this year than the western Mm -hmm. conference roster because um you know Westbrook would need to be in contention now for the east Ah, uh, the Raptors guys are definitely question marks if they're if they come back to earth. I mean, they're probably going to get one representative at most. I would expect, right? You do have to throw Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in that mix. I mean, they're they're almost guaranteed to both be starters. So that that creates a little bit of a a crunch. Uh, but you can also expect you know Tatum's going to hold his spot uh, and a few other guys in in that uh, you know mm-hmm. in that category. So who do you see being able to capitalize in the Eastern Conference as as possible candidates to make that roster?
2: Yeah, I think the easiest one, honestly, is, you know, another name that I didn't mention who will not be an all-star this year is Kemba Walker. Yep. Uh, I think think the Boston Celtics will be really good. I think that Jalen Brown right now is their best player, or has played as their best player through the first three games. I think that he is, I mean, if he doesn't make the all-star team based on what we've seen in his progression... um, like he got hurt. <laughs> That's basically how I'm viewing him, honestly. I mean, he's been t- terrific in all facets. So well, I, Jayla, would love,
1: I would love to mock you for this pick, but I got to say, Michael, I thought he was the biggest snub last year. He's definitely mm-hmm. a lot better this year. There's no Hayward, so he gets all the touches. There's no Walker, so he's not fighting with his teammate for a spot. I feel like you can almost pencil him and Tatum into the uh, the all-star uh, you know, selection, mm-hmm. unless Boston, for some reason, just falls on its face from a record standpoint, right? Um, As yeah. long as they're in that top four or five teams, like we're expecting, as long as, you know, Jalen Brown's continuing to, you know, look like a, you know, really strong, uh, you know, two-way player and, and a, you know, higher volume scorer, I think he's going to be in too. I think he's the number one, most likely first-time All-Star, including John Morant, by the way. I think Brown has a cleaner path than Jada's.
2: Yeah. So you sent me over your list, I think before it published and I was looking at it and I, I before I looked at it, I should say I put together my own list and oh. we, we, uh, we crossed over on four of the five players.
1: Oh, I hate and- it when that happens, Michael. Usually you throw some weird curveball, and I can freak out about it. So who are the guys you think that, or who are the guys we both have? <laughs> I imagine it's, we both have jaw. We both have Jalen. Who else? Uh, Jamal Murray, I think yep. we both had. Um, he's
2: had a really slow start, but uh, you know, it's, it's going to be he'll an uphill around. sled for him, don't you
1: think? Though, I mean, I was when I was really looking at it, I thought for sure he would make it, but he's got to compete with Jokic, so Denver mm-hmm. has to be good enough to get two, right? And then mm-hmm. he's got to outpoint, uh, you know, or outstat guys like Booker or john Morant. Uh, or Donovan Mitchell, guys who are probably going to have better stats than he does. I mean, maybe one possibility would be if Chris Paul uh, doesn't make it because he kind of takes right. a step back and it's it's Booker's team. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a, it's a crunch for Jamal Murray.
2: The, the Chris Paul point is one that I was about to make. Yeah, if anyone's going to fall off, it's him. Not because of, uh, you know, I don't think he'll fall off as a player. I just think the situationally, that's kind of Devin Booker's team. Um, but when I look at Jamal Murray, like, It is possible that our expectations were set a little high coming off the bubble where he looked like Steph Curry and shot like Steph Curry, Um, but he's not like the player that we've seen so far shooting as poorly as he did. I think that the big difference here is he needs to adjust to an elevated Michael Porter Jr., And Will Barton, who, like, everyone forgets about Will Barton. He was not in the bubble, didn't play at all. Uh, He's taken a lot of shots, and his usage is nearly as high as Jamal Murray's is so far. So I think that those variables are are ones that I, I think maybe I did not consider them heading into the year, but I think that Jamal will adjust as the season goes on.
1: Do you think that Utah will be able to get two selections this year? I mean, could it turn into a situation where it's like Donovan versus Rudy, and that could possibly open up a spot for somebody?
2: Well, I have, uh, you know, one of my five guys here. Um is that the one player who I have that uh, you did not, who I think you'll yell at me.
1: Wait, can I guess uh, it? Can I guess yeah,
2: it? You, yeah, in your, I think you are going to guess it.
1: It's going to be Christian Wood over Rudy Gobert, isn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. Unbelievable. Actually, I, I got to say, I, I considered it too because his one-game advanced stats are just absolutely incredible. Like Christian Wood's the greatest big man in the history of the sport after <laughs> after one game. Like His PER is like 73 or something like that. I mean, honestly,
2: like I'm not going to say I told you so after one game, but just watching how he plays off of James Harden, it is exactly what I thought it would be. It's like the opportunities are just going to be there every single night. And he did that, that game against the Portland Trailblazers. I mean, he was not perfect, particularly on the defensive end, getting just bulldozed repeatedly by Yusuf Nurkic. But I mean, this is a guy who uh, like w- w- did it all without Eric Gordon, did it all without John Wall. Um, I think like you know, Christian Wood is going to have so many point blank, just gimme bunnies um, at the basket as a pick and roll partner with Harden. Harden is looking like. Um, Really willing to feed Christian Wood, uh, particularly when he gets trapped in the pick and roll. He'll just throw it to him. And Christian Wood has like get, gets the ball in four on three situations. And it's like uh, his stride is so long he can get to the basket instead of having to kick out to a three point shooter. So, like, I-, I don't know. I just think his numbers are going to be really high. And I'm, as you know, a little bit higher on Houston than a lot of people. But if Houston is a four, five, or six seed and Harden is just like, you know, a shoe in to be an all star. And it looks like maybe they deserve two. I, I, I'd give it to Christian Wood. Very interesting. So, does that mean that you've got Zion on your list, too? I do have Zion on my list, yes. Um,
1: I, you know, I. Don't sound too excited, Michael. I mean, come on. Hold your horses.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, like, honestly, he. he you go he from
1: a... raving about Christian Wood to be like, yeah, Zion's on my list. Yeah, Zion's yeah. Okay. Zion, Zion's okay. Yeah. Um,
2: nothing too fancy, nothing to fret over. I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that he's the best player on his own team right now. Is that like, I, I, I think that you'll get upset by that statement, but watching Brandon Ingram so far, Ingram looks like he just won most improved player. <laughs> like, he looks incredible. Um, so I am interested to see, you know, are they going to get to probably not because, I, I don't think that they'll be a very good basketball team this season. Maybe they will um, exceed those expectations that I've set on them, and 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 be in the playoff picture at the midway point, and in, in which case, maybe they get two. But I do have Zion just because, like, it is Zion, and I think that it, you know a part of the fan vote is a factor here. Um, people love Zion as they should. He's really fun to watch. So
1: yeah, yeah, it will be a, a fun one to watch play out. Like we used to always wonder who would get in. Uh Gobert or Mitchell, right? And and like, would they cancel each other out? You know, Mitchell's like this fan friendly style. Gobert is a little bit more boring in New Orleans. It's a kind of a similar thing, except that both play an exciting style. They just do it in different ways. And Zion's just like way more famous, right? So is that the tiebreaker? Or is it the fact that Ingram is probably the more important piece for them right now? you know, I, I've i been impressed by Zion through the first couple of games, but he's still not being that big time impact making guy. Like they're not really winning the minutes when he's on the court. I think that Ingram is, um, you know, more influential piece in their overall offensive attack. So I wouldn't say that that's settled and I wouldn't guarantee that he makes it even if he happens to lead the fan vote, right? Because they've, they've kind of diluted that process. And so he's mm-hmm. going to have to get votes from his, his peers and the media. And I'm not sure that He's going to be doing enough to to necessarily uh, you know earn those votes. So uh, it could be a case of wait till next year for Zion. There's just not very many spots open, but it is a little bit easier to crack that Western Conference front front court than it is the back court. So I think that's why he deserves to kind of have a mention here. Anyone else that you've got honorable mention that you want to throw out there? You didn't like my idea of Malcolm Brogdon?
2: No, I, I actually loved your idea of Malcolm Brogdon and. You know, I was looking over and trying to put my list together right after I watched the Pacer-Celtics game last night, and, like, Malcolm Brogdon is just, uh, like, you know, I tweeted it during the game, but, like, the Milwaukee Bucks will just forever regret letting that dude go. He is so good on both ends, and the way he's kind of evolved to create his own shot, um, like, in ways that he wasn't when he was in milwaukee the way he sets up teammates his defense his defensive versatility is tremendous i mean like very few guys can contain jason tatum in isolation and malcolm brogdon did it uh, on an island in a couple situations so he's really good he's a lot stronger and faster and like quicker than i think that uh people uh kind of perceive just by like watching him
1: here and there because he plays for the Indiana Pacers but like he's well, a really yeah. good basketball player and he just like doesn't really jump you know he's not a leaper so I think yeah. sometimes people will just say okay well he's not an athlete I mean I, I wouldn't call him like super athletic but he gets the job done he's really solid I think if Lowry does fall out of the picture or if you know Kemba's spot is open you know if, if the Pacers have a you know top four or five record they deserve to have a rep- representative. a it could wind up being, you know, him and Sabonis kind of dueling for the spot. That's kind of what it was last year, too, in my opinion. And and Sabonis had crazy numbers. He's probably going to have even crazier numbers this year. So maybe he gets the nod. Um, you know, it's really hard to get people excited about the idea of Brogdon. But if you're saying who is a more deserving all-star, Brogdon leading a four-seed Indiana Pacers or Russell Westbrook on like a 10-seed Washington Wizards? There's going to be people who take Westbrook off of the name and off the excitement factor and everything else, but there's no way in my mind that Westbrook would be more deserving in that scenario than uh, a Malcolm Brogdon, right? Well,
2: you know, you you bringing up Russell Westbrook's name is really interesting because we have not mentioned Brad Beal, who was not an all-star <laughs> last season because he played for a terrible team. So, like, that's another guy we, sh- we need to consider here because, like, Brad Beal is freaking incredible um and i think well that'll be even
1: worse like if if beal gets snubbed and brogdon gets snubbed just because westbrook's the most famous and he gets these triple double headlines even though they're losing every game and he's shooting six for 19 and like (laughs) you know basically (laughs) admitting he's the reason why they lost and then you know that would just be the worst case mm-hmm. scenario. So maybe Westbrook doesn't make it, Michael. Maybe everybody finally comes around and, and kind of comes to Jesus on that and just realizes, look, this is not the guy he was three years ago. We need to go a different direction. I mean, that would be pretty rough if you're Beal. Beal's way better than Westbrook right now. Um, maybe yes, not is. from a statistic standpoint, but like from an impact standpoint, who you'd rather have. And if he winds up getting snubbed by his own teammate, that's a brutal look.
2: He's going to demand a trade if that happens so like right away.
1: Uh, any other honorable mentions you want to throw out there, Michael? I mean, a couple guys, you know, De'Aaron Fox, maybe not quite there yet, mm. but he's starting to get a little bit of buzz. Um, I think people love Shea Gilgis Alexander. Same deal. I think he's just kind of on that watch list territory. Uh, Fred Van Vliet in Toronto. I mean, is there a scenario where he winds up kind of being the face of that organization? He represents them. Um, you know, it, it, certainly he seemed like one of their most important pieces and a more central piece to their success during the bubble than Pascal Siakam. So I, I think that you know th- that's another possibility if Toronto is able to kind of turn things around and really you know put together a, a nice winning percentage as a team. You know, past that, I just think it's really slim pickings this year for the first timers.
2: Can I give you a kind of a hot take that maybe it shouldn't be a hot take, but I think it, it is? Um, Please. He, Even though he's made the All Star team several times in his career, we kind of don't consider him an All Star anymore. But I just want to quickly shout out DeMar DeRozan and how he's playing basketball right now. That's all I'm going to say. I think that he should be in this conversation as someone who maybe. In all-star this season
1: well he technically can't be in this conversation michael because I this know, is a conversation about first time selection
2: <laughs> i was i was shifting the 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 tone of the conversation and well and look the rules he, for a he
1: played amazing the first two games did you see his line last night i don't know if you, you did but like it, unfortunately you should have taped that segment 24 hours ago <laughs> uh because he f- crashed back to earth from an efficiency standpoint and he was afraid to shoot the three in the final moment, wound up getting blocked from behind and just the whole thing kind of fell apart. Their their late game execution was atrocious because they're working around a guy who never wants to shoot the clutch three. So um, I will kind of, you know, t- take the opposite approach there where we don't need to consider tomorrow for the Western Conference All-Star. That's OK.
2: I know. I knew you would, but I just wanted to throw his name out there.
1: Well, I appreciated it. Michael, we're going to close up here with a very funny, lighthearted email from a guy named Kyle. He writes in, first off, congrats to Michael for securing the bag at Sports Illustrated. I hope they are prepared to stand behind Michael's blistering takes and the SI mailroom is prepared for the inevitable inundation of Laker fan hatred. Michael, so have they talked to you at all about that yet? How you have to sort of troll Lakers fans, I don't know, twice a week, three times a week with different takes. How is that going to work out for you?
2: That's what I was hired for. Um, but no, no one needs to even tell me that. I was born to, to be this way,
1: I think. <laughs> so Kyle uh, went on to attach a photo of his child, a uh, young baby who wasn't wearing any clothes, who was laying face down on a uh, a bearskin rug. And, and he adds, I'm going to attach a photo of Nicola Timothy to spread holiday cheer. I bought this faux bearskin rug 12 years ago for funsies. And I moved it from upstate New York to Bushwick, to Astoria, to Woodside, to Crown Heights, to Harlem, to Jersey City, to Montclair, to the West Village, to Ho Hohokas, New Jersey, to Washington Heights, and back to upstate New York. And I never knew it would serve me as well as it has in this photo of a future NBA Hall of Famer. So I guess congrats to Kyle for having the child, beautiful child. Um, the picture... Michael, I just really don't know how to describe it, and I didn't forward it to you, but it is the child laying face down on the bearskin rug. <laughs> um, you know, it just kind of blew my mind. You know, every once in a while you open an attachment, you don't know what's coming, and and here it was. Um, I would say maybe the child's, you know, six months old, something like that. It looked like he's having a great time with that bearskin rug. I just want to be clear. I, I don't want to encourage this, Michael. We don't need pictures of all of the Open Floor Globe members' children. Lying on bearskin rugs. It's probably not the avenue that we want to go down. and yet, Kyle, congratulations and uh, we appreciate the uh, the loving touch on the email.
2: yeah, I mean, like I agree that please don't send us photos of your children um but <laughs> <laughs> i uh, i I also appreciate Ben, thank you for not forwarding this one to me um you know shout out to Kyle though and thank you so much for the kind words Kyle
1: we don't want you fired before your first day at the work (laughs) Uh, also I just want to point out though he named his child Nikolo Timothy which I can only imagine is a reference to Nikola Jokic and Tim Duncan so this kid what do you think Hall of Fame potential oh no doubt about it no doubt he's got it written all over his face well, we've uh, we've got a picture of him. We could potentially get autographed, you know, 20 years from now. If he gets drafted, we can, you know, come full circle. And it'll be a great moment for all of us. All right, guys, that's the end of another episode of Open Floor. You can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down, it will say rate and review tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Now, Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael vias and Victor Pina. Next week, he starts at Sports Illustrated si.com Check him out there. I'm on Instagram at Ben.golliver. on Twitter at ben.goliver. Guys, I hope you enjoy um, your time off if you've got it this week safely, and we will double back later this week with another episode. All right, Michael. Until then, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben.